This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. I'm Sadie, and today we are taking on a TikTok trend, which we're not always as current with the topics that, you know, we discuss every week, but when we saw all the men that were talking about the Roman Empire, we figured there had to be a woman perspective behind it. Or maybe some women artists that were forgotten from the Roman Empire. Yes, And definitely. so here we are trying to uncover that today. <laughs> yeah, we literally spent probably like, what, 10 minutes before recording last week trying to figure out what the deal was with the Roman Empire. And of course, that's been everywhere. So maybe you're already sick of hearing about it. Yes. But this will be like a fresh take on things that people aren't talking about with the Roman Empire, which I always enjoy. Whoever thought that history would be trending, you know? Totally. the Roman Empire. I know. Before we dive in, in case you haven't seen it, and if you're not on TikTok, there's just a trend going around on social media where it's ask the men in your life how often they think about the Roman Empire. And most of the time, it's a lot. <laughs> Weekly. Yeah. I know. I think the most common one has been like once a week. Once a week. Yeah. When I texted Jordan, my husband, about it, the answer I got from him was like, question mark, a lot. Why? <laughs> and I mean, I guess to his credit, he is literally like a sociology history teacher. Yeah. But also, before he was a teacher, I know his answer was still a lot why. <laughs> yeah. I think knowing your husband, I would assume that he would be one of the people who is probably daily thinking about the Roman Empire. <laughs> yeah. When I was like, but what's the amount? And he said about three times a week. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. Checks out. Checks out. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That one isn't surprising to me. No. <laughs> one that is weird is just asking my brothers and stuff, like how often... I was a little bit shocked, like, how often it still comes up. Two of them were not that often, probably once a month or something, and mainly with politics and stuff when it comes up, because people talk about the fall of Rome and then yeah. they talk about the fall of modern-day United States. I guess that's relevant, but... I asked my dad. Yeah. I couldn't tell if he was being serious or not, but I sent it in our group chat with my mm -hmm. entire family, and my mom was like, never, why? And then my dad <laughs> was like, all the time! And I'm just yeah. like, okay, this checks out. I think it's funny. And there's actually been like a bunch of articles about it, but one that I found by USA Today was talking about how this shows us the differences in what men and women think about. Okay. And it has some funny quotes in it. It's by Charles Trapani, and it was published on September 20th, so just a couple of days ago. And he basically said that, you know, the trend is women asking men in their lives how often they think about ancient Rome, and then they're soon shocked to discover that men seem to think about it on a semi-regular basis, ranging from monthly to weekly to sometimes daily. Whereas women don't think about the Roman Empire that often. I will say until this trend happened, I don't think I had thought about the Roman Empire 
once. <laughs> Only time I had ever is if Jordan said, hey, I was thinking about something today. And then, of course, yeah. there was a tie-in. <laughs> I was even trying to think if we had ever even talked about the Roman Empire on our podcast. And I think the only time we did was in our Is Color Disappearing from the World episode. We talked about oh. how ancient Roman statues were painted. That's true. That was it. That's the only time I could think. <laughs> so in the three years that we have been doing this podcast, the Roman Empire has come up once. That's pretty impressive. Once. Yeah. And it wasn't even like the Roman Empire. It was Roman statues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> also, apparently another thing, which I haven't seen this one on my For You page yet, but he also said that there's also like a trend going around where people ask men how often they Google the populations of cities. And apparently that's something that men are doing like semi-frequently. I don't do that, but you know, hey. But it's brought up the fact that there's some things that women think about that men don't. And they're coining this the female equivalent of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. One of them is like how often you think you could get murdered. Oh, Apparently yes. men aren't thinking about that often. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I thought it was really funny because someone said, what's the female equivalent? And then they just showed the Darcy hand flex, which <laughs> I can say has come up more than once in our three years of podcast. Oh, yes. We have referenced the hand flex in Pride and Prejudice many a times. <laughs> and I showed my mom the video and it literally was just a girl mimicking it. And we busted up laughing. Yeah. And then I showed my brother and my dad and they had no idea what it was. Like <laughs> I had to tell them. So I think that shows like how niche yeah. of a thing Yeah. After is. I showed Jordan the TikTok that you'd sent me of that, he was like, but what is the thing about the hand flags? And I was like, I don't, I can't even explain it. <laughs> it would be so hard to explain. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I thought was really funny, a comedian, Mary Beth Barone, made a video about it and said girls were always talking about like reproductive rights and political activism and how's your family and guys just want to like google the population of minneapolis and i think that's what happens when you have all of your rights when you have all your rights you wake up and you're just like oh what do i do today that's so wholesome though <laughs> so when you don't have anything to worry about i guess you just think yeah. about populations and ancient societies oh. but also too i feel like ancient rome is like a very masculine like yes it was a masculine society i mean the rest of the episode we're going to talk about women's role in society and yeah you will see it was a very masculine society it's like ken going into the real world for the first time and seeing mm -hmm. the patriarchy i feel like that'd be like a man going back to the roman empire and have it even yeah. be more be like wow this world's for me true it's like it's a run by men they're yeah. in charge even more so than our current 2023 america is which i think is what makes it even funnier like when we think of a time period equivalent i really think it is the regency time period with yes. prejudice for women yeah. and i think it's because that was a very feminine time period granted women still didn't have any rights but no, yeah <laughs> Everything was definitely more focused on the delicateness of it. There was a lot more manners and procedure mm -hmm. and everything involved in it. I feel um, like with especially with all the movies and the stories and the books that I think are more long lasting from that time period, they're all like women's led stories. Yes. And definitely. so I think that it's more easier for, I think, a modern woman even to then insert herself into those stories or in insert herself maybe into that time period because we can see so many stories of us existing and like also like still finding happiness in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I think that's a good point. Yeah. Even looking on literature and the Bronte sisters and Jane Austen and everything, we have more examples of, of how women, women doing cool things yeah. and like making lasting effects to the point that like mm -hmm. those names are, you know, 
those names aren't like our niche women artists that we're finding. Like when we did the Jane Austen episode, it was like, because we're finally doing a Jane Austen episode because everyone <laughs> yeah. knows who this is. That's so true. One thing I did want to bring up that this guy in the article focused on is that they think that men are more lost in how they fit into society nowadays and like mm. their role and everything. Like, and that could be. On a side note, why a lot of them are drawn to the philosophies of Andrew Tate and crap like uh, that. You know? yeah. Because it gives this like illusion, and I will say it's an illusion because promise that guy does not care what anyone does yeah. other than give him money. But like this illusion of a brotherhood or like a bond and like central roles that like a man would mm-hmm. have. And so I think it's kind of like this lasting legacy that they look at of like what men have left behind. Yeah. And and that might be part of the reason why it is such a draw for men. So kind of interesting on what yeah, the that is real reason is behind this, you know, like they could probably do a whole study on what makes men drawn to the Roman Empire. Yeah, I really, I wonder who was like the first person to think about that or, I don't know, to even start that trend. I think it was, so funny. I remember finding, I couldn't find the name. I was going to look it up. It was a guy who does like historical TikToks. Oh, and okay. And he focuses on the Roman Empire because he does like Roman reenactment stuff, uh-huh. like LARPing, but specifically the Roman Empire. And he was like, hey, women, ask them in your lives how th- how often they think about the Roman Empire, and I promise you'll be surprised. And then they started doing it, they and started. then it was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I didn't yeah. realize that's where it started. <laughs> so this is the more than amused take on the Roman Empire. One thing I will say right at the front is that the Roman Empire isn't something I researched a lot or looked into a lot, whereas I feel like both of us have looked a lot more into Greek art, everything, and Mythology. in general, mm-hmm. I will say the Roman Empire kind of disgusts me <laughs> because they just went in and they adopted everything from everyone else and renamed it and then took over everything. And that's why other things like the English monarchy kind of tend to disgust me a little bit and how they have a museum of just a bunch of stuff that they collected that doesn't belong to them. Yeah. So it's that uneasy feeling. And I'm not saying like the United States is any better, but true. Yeah, but it is very influential. And so what the Roman Empire was, it was a civilization that existed from approximately 27 BCE to 476 CE, quite a period of time. And that was in the Western half and then until 1453 CE in its Eastern half, which is often referred to as the Byzantine Empire, which we have talked about because... We talked about one of the queens of the Byzantine Empire in our episode about the royal women. Yeah, women political Royal Majesty the Muse. Yeah. So you can definitely check that one out. But here's some of the ways that the Roman Empire has continued to affect us today. So first is political structure, which I think is why it comes up for a lot of people who listen and talk about political things. (laughs) Because they had a centralized government to the system of checks and balances. They had a senate. And, you know, we run as a republic and that's what they were. They were a Roman republic. Also, the law and legal systems, they had the Justinian Code, which forms the basis for many of our modern legal systems, as well as concepts like innocent until proven guilty and the idea of equal protection under the law. 
So that all is from Roman law. Engineering and infrastructure. This is one that I've seen a few people bring up when they're like, why are you talking or thinking about this? They had really advanced engineering skills for the time. So they had like roads, bridges, aqueducts, and monumental architecture. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our like modern roads and engineering all comes from these Roman principles. This one I have not thought about once my entire life, but they spoke Latin. Yes. Which is the basis of English, French, Spanish, and Italian. So, duh. <laughs> Have I thought about that once? Nope. But a but big that... deal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like the language we all speak and many of the ones that we talk about. Another one is culture and religion. If you think of Western art, architecture, and lifestyle, a lot of that was influenced by the Romans and then brought up again in the Renaissance and then have been repeated since then. Also, Christianity is what took over the Roman Empire and then is now the world's largest religion. So that effect is still very much so there. Another one was like urban planning. They did grid layouts, which mm. I did not know. Utah is actually on a grid completely. So I, I, I miss sense. the Utah grids. It is very neat. And then they also had a central public square that a lot of cities still do around the world. Roman numerals. Mm. We still kind of use them more as like a decorative sense, but I guess the Super Bowl uses them. So there you go. They're they're randomly used here and there. <laughs> yeah. They also has a lot of transportation and like global trade systems that they set up that continued and influenced everything. And then also their currency and economic systems and all of that set up the standard for today as well. So obviously it's like a seeped its way into a lot of tiny aspects of our culture that if you look at it, you're like, yeah, it's very influential. Totally. However, I did ask ChatGPT what the most influential time period has been on modern American culture, and it still said the Greeks. There we go. And I think that's because the Greeks influenced the Romans before the Romans. The Greeks all had done a lot of this beforehand, like the Olympic Games, which we have an episode on, mythology. Wow, we're really covering our tracks. We don't have an episode fully on mythology, but we do have one on the muses and also monsters. And in that episode, Women Monsters from last October, there were a lot or a couple that were Greek mythological monsters. You check that out. Which I guess have like a Roman equivalent, but obviously we focused on the Greek part of it. Yeah, we were referencing the Greek part. I didn't even mention this, but the planets... They are also named after the Roman gods and goddesses. So there you go. One more thing, I guess. (laughs) Hey, you know what? We can't deny it that, that yes, obviously the Roman Empire definitely left its mark. Now, as far Mm -hmm. as what the role women played in the Roman Empire, because as a woman and as women, that's what we're focusing on. And women in ancient Rome, whether they were free or enslaved, they had many roles. Empress, even priestess, goddess midwife, shop owner, prostitute, daughter, wife, mother, but they lacked a lot of voice in public life. Women's values in ancient Rome were most solely related to who their fathers and their husbands were, with the majority being married off by their mid-teens. No Roman woman could vote, play a direct role in political or military affairs, or otherwise play an official part in how the Republic and later the Empire was run. Some of the women would use their influence on the men in their lives to kind of still influence things, but 
they couldn't outwardly and directly involve themselves in it. Some of the women that we're talking about, they give examples of women who kind of inserted themselves through the men in their lives. There was something I found called the model Roman matron. So according to Rome's legal and social code that was both written and unwritten, the ideal Roman woman was a matron who spun her own cloth, oversaw her family's affairs, provided her husband with children, food, and a well-run household, and displayed suitable modesty. And then women who defied this were often out, just outcast from society. What was an interesting thing is for a lot of ancient Roman history, women didn't even necessarily have a right to their own name, and they almost always took a feminine version of her father's family names. So, for example, like Gaius Julius or Marcus Terentius. So mm. their daughters would end up being Julia and Terentia. And then in the case of multiple daughters, they would have a suffix. So it'd be like Julia Major for the eldest, and then Julia Minor for the next. That and then is Julia so Tertia annoying. For a third. I know. That is crazy. So would they me. even call them Julia or would they just start calling them like Major, Minor, and Teresia? But then a lot of people would be called Major and Minor. I don't know. That's stupid. I mean, I guess I would imagine that they would have a way to give them nicknames and differentiate them. But I guess like officially that's what their names were. I don't know. But their sons all got different names? I guess. Isn't that? You're not even worthy of a name. Yep. You're also the most basic thing. So this is like a little bit I found about what different ancient men wrote about women. So there was someone named Ovid who was a famous poet of the early Roman Empire. And he believed that women's primitive sex drive rendered them irrational. I was confused by this. (laughs) You looked at women and you went, your sex drive makes you irrational. When they were standing next to teenage boys. Yeah. Listen, there's a lot of double standards, (laughs) you know, when you look at it. interesting. Yeah. (laughs) There was a Roman politician and lawyer, Cicero, reminded a jury that their their ancestors placed women in the power of... um, tutors or guardians because of infirmitas consili or weak judgment. Marcus Portius Cato, one of Republic Rome's most revered statesmen, apparently, warned fellow Romans of the risks of treating a woman as equal, asserting that they will from that moment become your superiors. Do we owe some sexism trickling down to this Roman Empire? Listen, if the Roman Empire has does still affect us, I, I think there is maybe an argument that perhaps in these ways as well. Lovely. Yes. Makes me feel so much better about the Roman Empire. Yes. <laughs> there was another, it's, it was a Roman satirist named Juvenal, who, in his famously misogynistic sixth satire, written in the second century AD, among his complaints, women shirked any risky but worthwhile enterprise, they were prone to promiscuity, and most annoying when they dared to flaunt intellectual opinions, and heaven help the man whose mother-in-law has a pulse, quote, all chance of domestic harmony is lost while your wife's mother is living. Yikes. I mean, listen, it's still a cliche to not like your mother-in-law. But now I'm like, how far back does this cliche go? That's what I was just going to say. Now it's, wait, (laughs) but where has this come from this whole time? I don't know. So I think that it's always a great way to understand how they viewed women to just know what they said about women. If they didn't say a lot of great things about women. 
I mean, granted, neither did the Greeks also were not great to the women in their society. Aristotle, he, he hated women. Yeah. But to continue on with like other aspects of women in Roman society, one interesting thing was that religion was kind of like a way maybe for women to not necessarily get ranked, but Roman society was dominated by men, of course, like I said. And but Roman got but there were almost like more Roman women that were being worshipped than men. Of the th- three supreme deities that were worshipped by ancient Roman, only one of them was male. Jupiter, who was the king of the gods. But then there were other two others that were Juno, which was the chief goddess and protectress of the empire. And Minerva, who is Jupiter's daughter and the goddess of wisdom and war. So I thought that was like an interesting thing to point out is that they were women. And then there was also something called the Vestal Virgins or the priestesses of Vesta. And they ranked among the city's most important residents. They were appointed to that religious ranking before puberty. And they actually required to remain chaste for 30 years. And they, there were just six young women and they held very sacred duties like preserving the hearth fire in Vesta's temple. And they did that because the belief was that if the fire died, that so would Rome. And they also would do other pretty significant tasks. Like they would safeguard wills of very wealthy and prominent Romans, including Julius Caesar. The priestess's religious significance gave them unusual power and influence, and they occasionally used it as when they intervened to save a young Caesar from the dictator Sulla. So I thought that was like an interesting, I don't know, maybe contradiction is the fact that, yeah, obviously women did not play a major role in their everyday life, but that in their religion, there were instances of them. And there was so much more information about the Vestal Virgins. Wow. Truly, we could have done a whole episode just about them. So that just touches on the surface. But it was still interesting to, you know, read a little bit about. But a little bit more, a little bit about women and sexuality. From the start of the Roman Republic, there was a high emphasis placed on women's virginity. We talked about this not that long ago in our purity <laughs> yeah. episode. So no again. way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, wow, that when I read that, I was like, shocking. Not, of course. <laughs> there was, I think it's Pudicita. Probably. Pudicita. Okay. I'm not entirely 100% sure on this pronunciation, but I think it's Pudicita. She was a goddess of feminine purity and was worshipped by Roman women. Only those who were virgins actually were allowed to enter the temple. And a woman's sexual life began with the consummation of her marriage in her husband's private room where slaves did not enter. In Romans' houses, it was really common for men and women to each have their own room. And that would allow the potential for them to carry on separate sex lives. But it was expected that women should only have sexual relationships with their husband. It was very common for a man to have many sexual partners throughout his life dumb it's such a double standard that's my issue with it okay if you're only gonna like yeah be committed to each other then it should be both people i just think it's dumb that you can only have sex with your husband but he can have sex with whoever he wants no it is how does that work if he's having sex with other women obviously so then what they anyway i mean it is very stupid yeah that's really stupid i agree and the focus on a woman's purity and on her role as a faithful wife and mother it increased during the reign of augustus this general campaign to improve family dynamics apparently began in 18 to 18 bc um and his new laws targeted both men and women between the ages of 20 and 55 and they were rewarded for being in healthy relationships 
and were punished if they were unmarried or childless. I was actually talking to my husband about this, who does know a lot about Roman law. And he, I think he like mentioned that there was like a certain rule that if, if you had this many children or more, that they wouldn't have to pay taxes anymore. And it was like very much in the name of trying to grow the empire and huh. make sure that people were having children. And then, but like additionally though, so I thought that was interesting. And then Augustus actually enforced the divorce and punishment of an adulterous wife. Women under his rule could be punished in the courts for adultery and be banished. And so that's when- But it, it was an expected part of the of male's the, life? Yeah. Huh? Interesting. It is interesting. And yeah, so like her private relationships would become a very public matter. And the palace was secured and driven by the idea that women would be returned to their proper places as chaste wives and mothers, and thus household order would be restored. He actually went so far to punish and exile his own daughter, Julia, for engaging in extramarital affairs, which I which thought Julia, was crazy. Though, was a Julia major or Julia minor? That's a valid <laughs> point. You know, I don't know how many daughters he had, so who's to say? But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Another thing, obviously, when I was like, when Jordan knew I was going to do this episode, he was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk all about it. But he brought up the fact that divorce was really common, actually, in Rome. And that almost began to be a problem because people almost weren't even respecting the emperors anymore because they were so sexually promiscuous that it was, at a certain point, it did become, come to the detriment of the men that were in the public because it's almost like they didn't take them seriously as like people who were like actually like trying to do good it was just people who were just you know out partying all the time and oh. not anyone to really respect or take serious and so i don't know if it was like after that augustus like tried to make these laws i'm not entirely sure the sequence of events but still i was interested like oh so like it did become a problem and like at a certain point people were aware of it okay i guess that's good to know <laughs> so yeah it's just so double-sided. I know. So that is just like a window into how, you know, women were treated. There is so much more information and so many like different facets of the culture and, you know, the roles. But I think it at least paints the picture <laughs> yeah. of the double standards. And of course, like I said, they didn't really have a outward voice in public life that the men did. And if they really? did want to make an influence, a lot of the times it was it was through the men or it was women from very wealthy families that were able to which we see a lot yeah and you know what we've covered so i know which we get to move into now yeah let's talk about some women now let's move into some of the women who used the men in their lives to gain power which i totally condone one of the earliest influential female role models in the roman republic was cornelia who, you can guess her father's name now. Cornelius. Was daughter yes. Of famed Roman general Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus. Wow. He gets four names. Educated and raised in the house of a military and political leader, she emerged as an intelligent presence in Roman society during her marriage and as a young widow. She spurned offers of marriage, including one from the Egyptian pharaoh, which I'm not going to try to say his name because I'd butcher it. Told, told me? But hey, an Egyptian pharaoh. Yeah. Instead, devoting herself to raising her three surviving children. When her two sons, the Gracchi brothers, whom she called her Jules, later embarked on populist reforms, she backed them staunchly in public while guiding and sometimes chiding them in her letters. I love that. 
I'll back you publicly and then I'm going to get mad at you personally. (laughs) Yeah. There is a quote from her that says, May Jupiter not for a single instant allow you to continue in these actions nor permit such madness to come into your mind. And that she wrote to her younger son, Gaius Sempronius Gracchas. Amazing. Both sons ended up being assassinated by a conservative Roman faction, but Cornelia retained widespread awe and respect for both her learning and devotion to family and state. I think it's always funny when we talk about these ancient societies is that the only way when we're able to have power is because of the family members around them that already were given yeah. power. And so, like, obviously there's a, a huge bias there, but I think that just goes to show how it was in general of society at the time. That it's like the only way a woman could is if, yeah, that was the situation yeah. they were in. Um, The next one is Faustina the Younger. She was daughter of the emperor Antonius Pius and was married at 15 years old. That was me widening my eyes. <laughs> yeah. To the future emperor Marcus Aurelius and bore 14 children. Another eyebrow-raising oh, woman. <laughs> that is indeed eyebrow-raising. 14 Yeah, so that's many. a lot of kids. Uh, hopefully they weren't paying taxes. One of <laughs> whom became emperor Commodus. And she was one of the few women who was granted the title Augusta, which was the highest status a woman could receive. Um, Faustina was revered by the military when she accompanied her husband on his campaigns and seemed to have been cherished by her husband, who named her Mater Castronum, or Mother of the Camp. When she died, Marcus Aurelius mourned her, deified her. And then founded a series of schools for orphan girls in her name, yeah. which is very sweet. I remember I like read a little bit more about her too. And yeah, that she was like very much like revered and like people, yeah, like almost revered her as some type of religious figure. So I thought that, that's you know, that really was cool. Sweet. So kind of like a saint. And I think so. Yeah. I guess that's what happens when you have a man who loves you in the yeah. Roman Empire. Look at that. Was Marcus Aurelius a good guy? In my book, just based off of the way he treated his wife. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> Okay. He's better than the rest, right? I don't know. We can judge him off of that. If I strictly judge him on that, yes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anything else. I guess I'll I think it's a Jordan good way after. to judge someone. Yeah, how they treat their wife. Yeah. I think it's usually pretty telling. The next one is Livia, who was the wife of Rome's first emperor, Augustus, and had a tremendous influence on her husband. One near contemporary account by Suetonius recounts that Augustus would compile careful lists of items on which he wanted his wife's input. Mm-hmm. And the council that often overrode that of his advisors. Despite her devotion to weaving and other feminine pursuits, she drew harsh criticism. The Roman historian Tacitus damned her for posterity in his annals as a real catastrophe to the nation who exercised so much control over an aging Augustus that he exiled his only surviving grandson. Before long, she gained the reputation of having not only poisoned Augustus' grandsons, but also the emperor himself. Wow. Some women were more ruthless than others. (laughs) And that's okay. And that's, you know what? (laughs) Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do to make by, I'm sure. Man, I will say one thing I'm kind of lacking of Roman influences, these names. True. Goodness. There was also some artists that were women in the ancient Roman Empire. And the only way we know this is because of this work by Pliny the Elder called The Natural History. I read a little bit about it. It was basically this giant Wikipedia index, like essentially (laughs) that's what it was, of all these different parts of the Roman Empire. And it's one of the only 
works that has survived to modern day and it's actually the largest single work to have survived from the roman empire that's crazy so it's like a really old yeah document obviously but he like mentions a handful of women artists in the text some have more information than others and some are only listed in name so here's like a few that we know about so the first one is aiea i think so yeah aiea yeah, Aiea of Syziscus. Sometimes she's referred to as Lala or Laia mm-hmm. or La, something like that, or Maya, which is incorrect. But she was a Greek painter born in Syziscus, and then, of course, that was adopted into the Roman Empire, and was relatively exceptional for being a woman artist and painting women's portraits. Mm-hmm. So she painted and also carved in art ivory and then came to Rome to meet the demand of art there in the late Roman Republic. She remained unmarried all of her life. So hopefully she didn't get any of those punishments. Yeah. Maybe they let it slide because she was painting. She was alive during the time of Marcus Terentius Varro. But according to Pliny the Elder, no one had a quicker hand than she in painting, which is wonderful praise yes absolutely Um, yeah most of her paintings were said to be a woman which i love and he attributes her to a large panel painting of an old woman and a self-portrait she was said to have worked faster and painted better than any of her male competitors and those would be sepolis and dionysus which enabled her to earn more than them and love that there's also a renaissance painting of her that I thought was really cool. Yeah, it was like a 15th century portrayal of I from, I don't remember exactly, you know, who did it, but I think it's her doing a self-portrait in the painting. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we may not know the artist depending on where it ended up. Yeah, which it's like when things are from this long ago, it's, oh, you know, who, yeah. it's hard to keep it straight, even to the point that they're like, some people call her Lala, some people call her Maya, but yeah, yeah I thought it was interesting. Oh, that's really cool. Now, one of the sad things is because a lot of these paintings are, like, on canvas Mm -hmm. or, like, frescoes or different things, like, on walls, they don't exist anymore. Very few of their works made it. The next one is Sulpicia, I think. I think so, too. Cool. She's believed to be the author in the first century BCE of six short poems, some 40 lines in all, written in Latin, which were published as a part of the Corpus of Albius Tibullet. Tibulosis. And she's one of the few female poets of ancient Rome whose work survives. So we actually still have hers, which is great. She's been identified as the granddaughter of Cicero's friend Servius Sepulcius Rufus. Can you imagine someone nowadays <laughs> being named Servius Sepulcius Rufus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of love it. Whose son of the same name married Valeria, sister of Marcus Valerius, Muscle. I couldn't even finish that. As an important... Yeah, we're saying all these names as if we have any reference to who the men actually are, even a little bit. (laughs) We're like, of this prominent person, don't you know who they are? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, she was the sister of an important patron of literature Mm -hmm. who launched the career of Ovid. Oh, and remember, Ovid is the one who had said some not nice things about women from earlier. Yes. There is. Mm -hmm. Her family were well-off citizens with connections to the emperor and since her uncle served as a commander for Augustus during his reign. Her surviving work consists of six short elegaic poems. I wish I knew what that meant. Relating to or a characteristic of an elegy. Oh, so I think that it means that, like, it told a story. So, like, the six, like, they all had a relation to each other. Okay, that makes sense, Mm because they do. 
Yes. The poems were actually initially attributed to Tibullus, but they're addressed to Serendius, which was most likely a pseudonym for whoever she was writing them for. Mm -hmm. It's also important to note that they've challenged whether or not a woman could actually have authored these poems. Mm -hmm. That's one of the main criticism of them. I don't know. <laughs> In contrast, they've argued that the number of poems could have been more that it would have been attributed to her. Yeah. There's so many experts that are like, no, it was actually this person wasn't a man and then it's like, no actually it was more women like i think that's just something we see over and over again with yeah especially with like, it being this old where there's just like really no way to prove it at all definitely it's kind of one of those things we'll have to wait for either science to come up with a further solution of or like the afterlife to see yeah. if we can go ask them <laughs> because there's no other way we would know yeah however the six poems are all very short like 10 lines is the max of all of them Mm -hmm. But they tell the complete story of a love affair with the usual incidents, falling in love, temporary separation, the unfaithfulness of one parter, partner, and the illness of another, and the free of love. Sad that's considered usual incidents. I know. <laughs> Literally. I want to say what each poem's about really quick, even though I know that's kind of a detour. But because I think it would be such a fun little artist project for someone to take each of these poems and turn them into a song or a yeah. painting or a story... Because they do have such perfect little plots mm -hmm. in them. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be cute. So this is just the like the synopsis of each one. So poem number one, Sulpicia expresses her delight that love has come at last and Venus has granted her prayer. She's happy to be able to make her love public rather than keep quiet about it out of modesty. In poem number two, Sulpicia complains about a birthday when her uncle... Masala is planning to take her to the country, and she will have to spend all day, sadly, without Serentheus. She tells Masala that she will go, but that she will leave her mind and heart behind. Mm -hmm. Poem number three, Sulpicia informs her lover that the unwelcome trip has been canceled. She hopes that they can all celebrate the birthday together as an unexpected treat. Poem number four, Sulpicia sarcastically thanks her lover for being so confident of her love as to have an affair with a whore. Or a wool basket carrying maid in preference to Servius's daughter, Sulpicia. Oh, no. She tells him that her family are anxious for her and are very pained to see her fall for a person of low birth. Oh, no. Can you imagine how bitter yeah. that probably sounds? I love it. Poem five. Sulpicia asks Serentheus if he cares for her at all when she is ill with a fever. She says that if her lover is indifferent to her health, she would prefer not to recover. Oh. Poem six, calling him my light. Sopicia tells her lover that she has never done anything so foolish as she did the previous night when she refused to sleep with him for fear of making her love to him too obvious. And that's how it ends. That's how it ends. Wow. Just saying, that would be a really good artist That would project. be a really fun artist project. Okay, maybe <laughs> I'll do it. I'll yeah, do take it. Take it upon myself. There's six songs. Mm -hmm. That would be great. Okay, the next artist is Timoret. Timorete? It's hard because I'm like, I can't, I feel like I pronounce most things French, but. Yeah, but they're like Latin. But I guess yeah. Latin came from, I don't know. Yeah. I know, but Spanish, French, and Italian so have different. such yeah. different pronunciations. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to guess Timorete. Yeah, cool. Eh, could be completely wrong. Sorry. Yeah. She was an ancient Greek painter. 
She was the daughter of the painter Mykon the Younger of Athens, and according to Pliny the Elder, she scorned the duties of women and practiced her father's art. Love, Love it. it. <laughs> that could be the truth for so many of the artists we cover. Yes, and for real. I, I love that. At the time of Archelaus of Macedon, she was best known for panel painting of the goddess Diana that was kept at Ephesus, a city that the goddess, I think, was resided in. You know how they mm-hmm. had temples for each of them in different places? Yeah. Obviously, it no longer exists because it was a panel painting, but it was kept at Ephesus for many years. The next one is Aristoretti. Uh, she's also an ancient Greek painter. We hardly know anything about her including where and when she lived. None of her works are also really known, but Pliny the Elder's Natural History contends mention of hers depicting the Greek god of medicine, Mm -hmm. Asclepius, I think. And then he also includes her in his list of female artists. And he also writes that she was trained by her father, like many of them, named Nirchos. And the next one is Irene. She was an ancient Greek artist, also described by Pliny the Elder, daughter of a painter, once again, and had an image of a girl that was housed at Eleusis. During the Renaissance, Giovanni Bacciaccio, who's a 14th century humanist, included Irene in his De Mulberius Claris, or which was like on famous women. And some of the paintings he credits to her are an older Calypso, the gladiator Theodorus, and... Also a famous dancer named Alcissipi. And then the one we know the least about is actually Calypso. She was supposedly an ancient Greek painter. However, she's also like a figure in ancient Greek mythology. And so nobody knows if it was like naming a painting, possibly the one done by Irene. And that's how she ended up in the list. Or if it was like an actual female artist as well. It's possible. Maybe Bull. But she's just listed as well as another one, Olympias, which is a similar thing where they had a Greek goddess and or a Roman goddess, I guess, that was also a part of that. So they both could be artists or they could just be like mentions somehow in the list. Okay, of yeah. Something else. I don't know. But that's Calypso and Olympias. Cool. And yeah, and that's all of them. So it's kind of cool because there's yeah a lot of lists of them but it's just a bummer that he didn't bother to put more than like their name yeah it's like hard that like you'll literally never know anything yeah. else but yeah it's but it's cool at least to have learned that they existed and that there at least were so many that could even be named even you know which is Agreed. really cool i love that he even bothered to put them in there because it means that women artists were a very fundamental part of roman culture to the point where when he was like i'm gonna write roman history he included them in there and i think it goes to show that women have always been a part of the arts even in these societies where they technically Much weren't supposed to them. yeah they still have been mm-hmm. uh, i think that's what makes it really cool is the more we study the more we learn that there was never a time period on earth where women didn't have some form of art Totally. That they were contributing to. And I mean, there also were also, <laughs> they're also in the list of just prominent Roman women, too. There were so many others who had figured out ways to gain some type of influence through their husbands. We gave two examples, but there were a lot more. So if you mm-hmm. want to go learn more interesting stories like that, they are, they exist and they're out there. I wanted to make a little note at the end of something I learned about. So 
apparently you you know Pompeii I mean we remember learning about the yes. big old volcano and how everything was preserved apparently another thing that has preserved is the graffiti in in Pompeii before it became entombed in ash yeah all over their walls there was graffiti and it would be like very vulgar and very explicit and much of that graffiti remains so well preserved that people can read it and find it and whether it's very sexually explicit content there's a website where it just lists all of the graffiti and the translation of it and i definitely will be looking at that (laughs) some of them were pretty hilarious but there is one that i loved so much that said oh walls you have held so much tedious graffiti that i am amazed that you have not already collapsed in ruin beautiful yes and i don't know i thought it was really just cool to learn about the graffiti in the sense that you know what that is a way that women i'm sure were you know also participating in culture but also i was just like wow the romans really are just like us and humans are the same whether that's from 200 bc or now where they're graffitiing vulgar things about their sex lives about the people they're in love with Or making witty little jokes about the fact that there's so much, you know, there's just making witty jokes about the environment that I was like, this is like a weird way that like I've never in my life felt more connected to the Roman Empire than reading through the graffiti that they wrote. And, you know, I said that there's something just so human about that and so funny that, uh, you know, it's not technically, I mean, in a way you could argue that it's art. It's statement I think it is. Mm -hmm. We look at modern graffiti as art. Yeah. I think in a way, especially with the way it's been like preserved and I'm sure it what an amazing window into an ancient civilization to really understand the people. And like I said, I'm sure there were many women who also took their place in graffiti the wall. I would read more. They're they're pretty explicit, some of them. And then some (laughs) of them are just like, don't make much sense out of context. But you can go read them and they're really hilarious. So had I to that. throw that in there here at the end. So No, I love that you said that. It reminds me, I saw something this week. I can't find it again. But it was talking about how, like, too often we distance ourselves from history. Mm-hmm. Like, thinking of them as more refined or, like, just the way they talk. Less human in a way yeah. because we either put them on a pedestal or just look at them as a completely different thing. When in reality, it's like cave paintings are just finger painting. Graffiti was still graffiti. You know, like all of this stuff, just everyone was still human at every time period. That's really the part that's cool. I know. But you know what? Maybe there is a benefit to thinking about the Roman Empire and the histories and those who came before us. Fine, I guess. There's a point to studying all this. Yeah, and maybe the next time you ask someone how often they think about the Roman Empire and they say at least once a week that you can bring up one of the women we've talked about and say, oh, what can you tell me about her? Like, did you know (laughs) about this amazing poet? (laughs) Cool. Well, I hope you learned more about the Roman Empire. Share this with a man in your life and maybe he can learn something extra to think about the Roman Empire. And if you're a fan of the podcast, leave us a review, share it with a friend. And we'll be back next week. Oh, my gosh. Next week is October. (laughs) Yes. I was about to say, we love October here on We Love October. We have gotten to the point where ever since last year, we now have a theme for Mm -hmm. the month. And everything will be centered around that. We also do watch parties. 
everything love October and there will be an extra episode this month as well. Mm-hmm. So definitely tune back in for this next month. We will be talking about murder mysteries. Yay! <laughs> yes. And that may seem super basic. I promise it won't be because it's going to have our lovely more than amused feminist historical twist. So come join us all October. We're so excited. We are. I love October. Me too. Cool. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.